and you would like to turn uh, in the passage we'll be looking at today is Revelation 3 and verses 19 through 22. This is the third and Lord willing last sermon that I'll preach on this passage. And I won't reread the, the whole thing, but I'll pick up in verse 19. I hope by now you're familiar with uh, verses 14 through 18. Let's hear the word of God. As Jesus is speaking to the church uh, at Laodicea, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the living God, and we pray that by the Holy Spirit who inspired it, that he would illumine his word and that he would uh, transform our lives by the renewal of our minds. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this portion of Holy Scripture. We thank you that the words of our Lord Jesus are very pertinent, just as pertinent today as they were a couple thousand years ago. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will revive us through the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's lots of ways you can define or describe what it is to be a Christian. But one way to say uh, uh, what is a Christian is, is a Christian is someone who has been made alive. If uh, you understand what Ephesians says, it says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. You understand that, that, it's, that God alone can give life. And, and if you are alive, if you're a Christian, you are alive. And it's because God has given you life. Ephesians says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So, um, and Jesus said... He said, I have come, in John 10, he said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So the purpose of his coming is to give us life and, and, and to give it more abundantly. And that implies that there can be degrees of life. On the one hand, uh, you're either dead or alive. We know that. But if you're alive, uh, you might be more alive or more fully alive at times than at others. And so uh, it's possible to be alive but not to be uh, as full of life as you could be. And so Christ called to, uh, call, uh, you know, calls us uh, to live an abundant life in him. And Revelation 3.16 uh, states that... Uh, at times we, we are cold, sometimes we are lukewarm, but we ought to be and hopefully are moving towards becoming hot uh, to be on fire with the life of God. So thank God for the new life that you have been given 
in Jesus Christ. Uh, because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And this is, uh, this is a wonderful thing. And, you, and if you can remember your conversion, not everyone uh, does remember that time, you will remember that newness of life when it came to you. Romans 6, 11, the Apostle Paul urges us to, uh, to reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you've been made alive, he says, reckon it to be so. Think about it this way. And uh, you, you and I have been spiritually resurrected. We've been brought back from the dead. So a resurrected person is, is going to be someone who, who, who acknowledges that and who gives uh, testimony and witness to the fact that you have been spiritually raised. And then Romans 6.4 says, As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should uh, walk in newness of life. And that's what revival is all about. It's walking in the new life that has been given to you. A walk in such a way as to be full of that life and to be on fire with that life. And uh, that's, that's what revival is. So uh, to be a Christian and then to be apathetic, to be indifferent, or to be lukewarm, uh, those things are... Or contradiction, you see, to what we have we've been created in Christ uh, and given new life. And there are times, though, and we we have to admit it. And that's why this scripture is here. It wasn't just for the Laodiceans; it's for us too. Times when we uh, when we cool cool down, when we become lukewarm. And yet, we need to know, and Christ tells us that that's not acceptable. Uh, Jesus said, you know, if, to the Laodiceans, if you're lukewarm, he will spew you out of his mouth. Uh, uh, the lukewarm Christian makes Christ sick. Uh, it's, it's not a good thought. And, and so the, the Laodiceans had become very self-satisfied in their faith, as we saw. They thought they had everything uh, just, just fine, that everything was going great. But it was actually just the opposite. Jesus uh, told them what it was really like. And so your understanding of what your spiritual life is like and Christ's understanding might be two different things. You might want to ask Jesus uh, to, to tell you the truth if you're willing to do that. But Jesus said spiritually to the Laodiceans, uh, he said, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He gave them wise counsel then that would lead them out of that state uh, and into Revival, And today we pick up in verse 19 where he continues to give counsel for a revival to the Laodiceans and to us. And there are two keys, two points this morning, uh, two keys to revival. And the first one is to be zealous and repent. If we would experience revival, we must be zealous, Jesus said, and repent. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, he begins in verse 19. Now, he had just said uh, to the Laodicean church that their lukewarmness made him sick. Uh, and he said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Uh, and, and he convicted them of, of these, these sins and the way they were. Uh, they did not love him as they should. They did not live for him as they should. And yet he begins in verse 19 saying, but as many as I love... And he goes on to tell them other things. But, so that's the point I want to say, first of all, is that uh, even at our very lowest, 
even at our very worst, even in our lukewarm state, Christ loves us. He loves his people. And uh, whether you've blown it, whether you've become lukewarm or even cold, Christ uh, loves you because he loves his church. He loves those he died for. He loved you and I to, to go to the cross. And there's no greater love than that. And, and, and yet, as believers who know their sins and who are convicted for their sins, uh, often I think that, that we wonder to ourselves, uh, how could Christ love me? I keep disappointing him over and over. Now, we need to be convicted of our sins. But we also need to be convicted of the love of Jesus Christ for us as his people. And uh, he loves us in spite of our sins. He loves us uh, even when we have wandered far from him. Uh, He loves us even when we fail to love him. Uh, His love is constant. And and, and he, he loves us because we are his children, because we're his special possession, his special treasure. Because he purchased us uh, by his death. And he loved us before the foundation of the world. He loves us now. He will love us into eternity. And he loves us enough uh, to to continue the work that he began in us. Uh, He doesn't leave us alone. uh, At least not for for long. uh, Because he is doing a work in us. And so everything he does... For us as believers, everything he does for us and says to us is in love. We can be sure of that. Uh, Philip Edgecombe Hughes in his commentary wrote, he said, Stern words of reproof and admonition are not incompatible with affection, but are rather an expression of the deep concern of genuine love. So Christ loved the lukewarm Laodiceans. He loved them enough to stir up the, 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 the smoldering embers in their hearts that were dying out. And he loves us enough today uh, to stir up uh, that which is not yet out, gone out in our hearts, and to fan into flame uh, what he ha- has already put in our lives, and that is his life, his life itself. So Christ rebukes those that he loves. And a, re- a rebuke is something I think we all really know uh, what it is, but it's basically the idea is to call someone out and to show them uh, their fault, uh, to call them to account. It's to convict them, to bring to light a problem or, or, or a need or, or a sin. And uh, it is possible to rebuke someone out of ill will, to do it uh, without doing so in love, but Christ always rebukes us in love. It's interesting, the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus says that uh, if you you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, and then it goes on to tell them that you should rebuke your neighbor when they sin. (laughs) So rebuking can be an act of love, and it should be done in a loving way, not in a superior way, I'm better than you, and let me tell you, you know, how you need to live, and so on. But it's to do so uh, as Christ would do it. So uh, Christ rebukes us in love. He points out what is wrong so that it can be corrected and so that we can uh, go on uh, and be transformed. And and remember, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to believers. And 
We know what Romans 8.1 says of, of believers. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And yet, there is sin that remains in us, and that remaining sin, as it comes up, as it flares up, as it occurs, needs to be reproved. It needs to be rebuked. Uh, even though there's no condemnation in Christ for that sin, it still needs to be dealt with. Our sin is still sin. It's unworthy of the name that we bear. And, and, and though Christ has paid the full penalty for all our sins, uh, every sin we commit still deserves God's wrath and curse. That's in and of itself, that's what it deserves. Now, Christ has already paid that for us, and we're thankful for that. Uh, but because we are the dearly loved children of God, Christ rebukes us, he convicts us uh, when we sin. And, and often this conviction will come through a, a sermon, through, through a lesson, through a Bible study, through reading Scripture itself. Uh, we, it, it reproves us. It rebukes us. Our conscience is, is set up by God to, to rebuke us and to let us know when we have gone astray, when we have committed sin. And, and we might receive God's rebuke through a close friend, another Christian, through a, a Christian spouse, or even uh, through an unbeliever. Well, God sent uh, a donkey one time to rebuke someone. So it can come a lot of different ways. If you're, if you're sensitive to the Lord's work, you will know when he is rebuking you. Uh, but our natural response to a rebuke is to be defensive and uh, to make or to make excuses. Right? Uh, uh, we want to defend ourselves. But if the Lord rebukes us, and you know it's the Lord, you know that you, you and I ought to humble ourselves and listen to what he says. He's saying it in love. Because he desires to revive us. He doesn't want to condemn us. Okay? You see, there's no condemnation. He's not condemning you. He's, he's saying, let me help you. Let me revive you. But you must listen to what I say. You must take to heart my rebuke. Are you listening to the loving rebuke of Jesus Christ? Are you taking those rebukes to heart? Uh, if you do not listen, if I do not listen... Uh, to the loving rebuke of Jesus Christ, then he must go on to take some other measures with us. And uh, that's where we get into the area of discipline, God's discipline or his chastening of us. And uh, we know if we grew up in a home with loving parents, uh, we, knew, we know that when we were children, most of us can remember our parents uh, giving us, you know, a rebuke, a reprimand, and sometimes that's all it took, right? We, you know, the, the fear, the fear of the Lord was in those children when their parents rebuked them, and, and some, with some children, that's all it takes. And uh, if if we heard that reprimand, don't do this again, then if we were wise, we we would have said yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and then don't do it again. But um, you know, we, we, those words of reprimand sting, but we also know that there's something else that stings a little more, and that is uh, the discipline. Right? And, uh, you know, I, I think spanking is still legal today, right, in this country. <laughs> uh, it, it's not legal anymore in Scotland, by the way, or and some other places, but I'm, I'm thankful that my earthly father uh, gave me some good, hard spankings I can still remember today. I needed those. 
probably needed much more uh, than he gave. But, uh, and I did that with my own kids. Yes, I spanked all six of my kids. And, uh, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, and, but I'm, I'm maybe more glad that God spanks us, that he disciplines us, uh, because he's a loving God. He cares about us. You know what happens. You let, you let your child have their own way. You never discipline them. Uh, they're going to grow up to be uh, a, a problem in, in, in this world. But So God disciplines us because he loves us, not out of hostility, not out of harshness, because he has tender, loving concern. Hebrews says God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Okay, the best thing for you and the best thing for me is, as a Christian, is not only to be forgiven, not only to you know, have the assurance of heaven and all that, but is, is, to, is to share in the holiness of God. He chastens us also because he delights in us. Psalm, I mean, Proverbs 3.12, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, discipline isn't pleasant. Uh, it, it, and it comes in various forms. It may come uh, in uh, physical pain, sickness, suffering, disappointment, loss, and, 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 you know, something or someone uh, precious to us. Any trial, any difficulty, uh, God may use in our life to correct us, uh, especially if we are sensitive to the Lord's dealings with us. If, if something happens in our life, um, you know, ask the Lord, what, what are you trying to, to say, Lord? What are you teaching me? What do I need uh, to be disciplined here? Is this your discipline? And so what is the purpose of Christ's rebuke and, and, and his discipline? Well, these are meant to turn us from our sins back to him. And, and so the, he continues. He says, therefore, in light of the Lord's rebuke and discipline, therefore, be zealous and repent. Now, that's an interesting combination, to be zealous about repenting. Uh, to be zealous actually is uh, to be heated to a boil. So he's saying to the lukewarm Laodiceans, you need to get hot. And the first thing you need to be hot about is to repent. You need to be zealous to repent of your sins. And so he's saying, stop being lukewarm to me, to my church, to my kingdom. Uh, repent, return to me, your first love. And, and often we think of the word repent as a negative word, as a harsh word. But, you know, I like to think of it this way, uh, that if you hear God's word telling you to repent, what he's saying to you, uh, it's not a harsh word. It means that he's giving you another chance. Repent. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's not over yet. It's not too late for you to turn around. Repent. Uh, there's another chance uh, for you to change. And you may say, it's too late for me. I, I, I've gone too far in my sin, and, and, and I just don't have any strength to turn from it. Well, if Jesus says repent, <laughs> first of all, again, it's not too late. Uh, and secondly, he wants you back. Okay, Jesus wants you back. He doesn't want you as you are. He wants you back. And, and because he's going to do something. And also, thirdly, he, if he says repent, that means he's going to give you the ability or he's going to enable you to repent. Repentance is, like faith, uh, the gift of God. Acts 11, 
18 says, God has granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. And, and he will grant repentance to you and to me. He's already granted it to us if we've been converted or else we would have never been, been saved. Uh, but he will grant you repentance if he, if he calls you to repent. And so we're commanded uh, to repent. That means we're not to sit around and wait for the gift of repentance. So I don't feel the gift of repentance coming on me. Well, guess what? You have the command. That's all you need. Uh, if you obey the command, he will give you the grace that you need. It's in the doing that God often provides of the strength to do what he says. You say, well, I, could, I can't do that. Do it. He'll, he'll enable you as you do. So to repent means to change your mind about sin, uh, about yourself, about your relationship with God. It means to change your, it means a change of heart. It means a change of your ways. Uh, it, it's not just an attitude. It's, it's, it's got to be a, a resulting change of life. So to repent is to do an, an about face, to turn around from doing things your way and start to do things God's way. It's going one direction and then turning around and going the complete opposite direction in life. And, and the verb repent here is in, 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 it's a Greek word, and it's in the aorist tense. And the aorist tense in Greek, is, it means it refers to a once and for all act. Now, on the one hand, we know that repentance is an ongoing need and an ongoing thing in the life of the Christian. But whenever we repent of any particular sin or group of sins, we need to think of it this way. As we come to it and we say, Lord, I repent of my sin, we, don't, we have the attitude that we're not going to go back to it, that we're done with it. Now, that may not be true. It may not actually happen that we, that we never commit that sin again or whatever. But that our attitude in coming to that sin, repenting of that sin, is, Lord, I turn my back on it, and I, my purpose, my desire, is to not go back to it. You see, if we repent half-heartedly, uh, you know, if you think it's, you know, well, if, if I repent of my sin and I still struggle after that, if you repent half-heartedly, it's going to be far worse, because you'll never, you'll never even get anywhere uh, to start with. So... The Shorter Catechism puts it this way, that it talks about you know, what is repentance, and it says uh, repentance is when we uh, turn with grief and hatred of our sin, first of all, and we turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. So when you, when you repent, you're desiring, you have a, a holy purpose to turn your back on that, and then to turn to God and, and to his commandments to keep them from now on. And uh, so the question is, are you ready to turn your back on lukewarmness in your life? The sin of lukewarmness, to repent of that. Uh, you know, the lukewarm person is in the middle. Not hot, not cold. But if you stay lukewarm, guess what? You'll cool off even more, and you'll become cold. And uh, but but if you're zealous, if you're serious about these things, if you're serious with God and repent, you can catch fire again. You can be heated up uh, to that boiling point again. Uh, genuine repentance is a vital key, you see, to personal and corporate revival. There there has been no true revival in the history of the world without repentance. I want revival, but I don't have to repent that you won't ever get revival. Uh, 
there must be repentance of sins. We must repent and turn back to the Lord. And that leads to the second uh, key to revival in our text. And the second key is that not only must we repent of our sins, we must open the door to Christ once again in our lives. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, God used that verse with me before I was saved to, to help me to come to Christ. It is not written technically to the lost so much out in the world, but to the lukewarm in the church. Uh, this is what Christ is knocking on the door of the church. And the, the bad news is he's on the outside of this church. He's not on the inside. He's, he's knocking on the door, standing outside of the church because of their lukewarmness. And I wondered, uh, did the Laodiceans even know that Christ was not among them, that he was outside? Uh, Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote, he said, there, there is Christ outside the church, driven there by her unkindness, but he is not gone far away. He loves his church too much to leave her altogether. He longs to come back, and therefore he waits at the doorpost and knocks. So he knocks at the door of the church, and he and he and yet when he does so, he addresses himself to individuals in the church. Uh, he says, if anyone, any one of you hears my voice, uh, and he's speaking again to people who who know Christ, or at least profess Christ, we know that in the church of Jesus Christ, sometimes people get saved who were church members. We've seen that happen here. Uh, people who we thought were wonderful Christian church members, but their testimony was, I just now realized I didn't know the Lord. And I confessed my sins and received Christ as my Savior. And we were kind of surprised, right? I remember the one individual in particular, but... Uh, some are saved, some in the, in the church may have yet to come to know him and only think they know him, but Jesus speaks to all. He speaks to anyone who is listening. Do you hear Christ knocking at your heart's door today? Your heart and this church. Do we hear him knocking? And remember, uh, you know, that... Uh, that you, yes, if you are a Christian, if you're a true Christian, you have received Christ already. Okay? So, so you say, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, he already lives in my heart. Uh, but you know what? It's possible, I think, uh, for a, a true Christian that Christ may keep a little distance from us at times, and you and I've probably you've probably felt that at times. I feel far away from the Lord, and guess who's moved? Not, not God, but you. Well, sometimes it is God. <laughs> sometimes the Lord said, "Okay, you don't want me around. Uh, I, I'll kind of keep my distance." And um, and so, uh, if we don't want Christ around, you know, Christ will say, for a time, I think. Only for a time, but he will say, "Okay, well, if that's what you want, um, let's see how see how it goes for you, without me around." Uh, and 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 uh, in Ephesians three seventeen, Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians. These are already Christians. He says, "You know, I pray 
so many things. And he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And that word dwell, is, it's a very strong term there, and it means to pervade, to settle down in. And it's the idea of Christ taking up residence uh, so that your heart is his home and that he himself is at home in your heart. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just hang out with us for one hour on Sunday mornings or for another hour on Wednesday nights or for a few minutes at the beginning of the day when we have a prayer and read our devotion. Uh, he wants to be with us all the time. Uh, he wants to, to stay with us and uh, not leave us at all. He wants to be a constant companion, our, our very closest friend. He wants to be that friend that sticks closer than a brother, closer than a husband or a wife, closer than a child, closer than anyone. Uh, so when we're first converted... We first trust in Jesus as our Savior, the Spirit of God. Spirit of Christ comes immediately to dwell in our hearts. And, and that's good. So what, what Paul is praying for, you know, may, may Christ dwell in your hearts. Um, he's praying that Christ's influence would begin to permeate us and to, and to so fill us and take over us that, that it becomes a permanent reality uh, that Christ is settling down to be at home in our hearts. Is Christ at home in your heart right now? Uh, you know, we, we often hear, you know, people say, you know, well, you know, if you knew uh, what was in my heart and in my mind uh, this past week, uh, you would be very disappointed in me. You really wouldn't want to know. Well, Jesus knows. Uh, you know, is, is he going to be at home with your thoughts and with uh, your attitude, with is he at home in your life? Uh, these are convicting questions. But, uh, you know, if I'm backslidden or lukewarm, first of all, I, I think two things happen. Uh, Christ's presence, and that, again, that may happen in church or, or somewhere else. If, if, if I'm not, you know, if I'm lukewarm, I kind of, I'm uncomfortable with, with serious Christians. I'm uncomfortable with the presence of Christ. But guess what? Christ is a bit uncomfortable with you, too. Remember, lukewarmness makes him sick. Uh, he doesn't really like lukewarmness. And so uh, he's not very comfortable with the situation either. And, and if we continue and keep him at arm's distance, uh, uh, he'll stay at arm's distance until we realize our loss and yearn for his return. We need to realize our loss and yearn uh, for his return. The Lord Jesus does not force himself on us. Now, when we come to Christ, initially, uh, we are drawn, uh, we are made alive, we are, we are brought, uh, you know, not against our will, but we're made willing. And, and that is an act of, of power of God, and, and it's grace that, uh, you know, he's going to, if he wants to save us, he's going to save us. But especially after we are saved, uh, Christ doesn't force himself on us. He says, I'm knocking the door, and I'm not going to come in unless you want me to, uh, unless you open the door again to me in your life, to, to my influence, to my love, to my companionship. And what does he say will happen if we do that? He says, I will come in to that person. I will dine with him, and he will dine with me. 
1931, there was a Norwegian seminary professor named O. Hallisby. I don't know what O stands for, but that's just the way he, you know it's written in the book. And he wrote a book simply by the title Prayer. And uh, in, in that book, he said, in biblical language, the, co- uh, the common meal is symbolical of intimate and joyous fellowship. This affords a new glimpse into the nature of prayer showing us that God has designed prayer as a means of intimate and joyous fellowship between God and man. And at the very, the very beginning of the book, there's a famous line uh, in, in the book. And, he's, and he simply says, he says, to pray is to let Jesus into our hearts. See, when we pray, we're not conversing with, with a God who is far away. Yes, our Father is in heaven. We, we pray that in the Lord's Prayer, but... But we're also conversing with one who who wants to be so close to us, so near to us, that he actually enters our hearts, speaks to our hearts, and then he wants us to speak from our heart to him. Heart to heart. This is what prayer ought to be, you see. This is what he's designed it to be. Would that describe your relationship with Jesus this morning? some Christians are, are very formal with their faith, with, their, with Christ, with uh, their prayers. And, and in public, public prayer, it's going to automatically be a little more formal. I understand that. But Jesus said, go into your closet and shut the door and meet with your Father alone. Meet with Christ alone and the Holy Spirit. And in, in those times, you and I can speak openly candidly, sincerely, you know, Christ, this is what prayer is. It's a heart-to-heart talk with God. Now, in that conversation, we're going to offer up praises and adoration and thanksgiving. We're going to confess sin, and we're going to bring our supplications to him, and we're going to end with praise and thanksgiving again and things like that. But, you know, maybe Jesus is saying to you and me this morning, it's time for us to talk. Can I come in and, and will you let me in and, and can we have a heart to heart? Is that something you need today? If so, then don't delay. Uh, he wants to dine with us. He wants to be near us. And, 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 and to, you know, but do we really want him to enter the deepest places of our hearts? Uh, and what will happen if he does so if we let him in to the places of sadness and, pl- and pain, uh, places of disappointment and failure, places where we are hurting the most, what do you think will happen if we let him in? Is he going to just uh, tear us up one side and down the other and with, with, with the discipline? I'll tell you what he will do. Psalm 147.3 says of God, when you let Christ in, you see, uh, it says he heals the brokenhearted. And he binds up their wounds. Jesus said, quoting Isaiah, he said, you know, I was sent to heal the brokenhearted. Now, he's going to discipline you. He's going to rebuke you. But that's, to, that's leading up to you to get your attention to say, I'm knocking at the door. Let me in. But when you let him in, what's he going to do? I'm going to heal your brokenness. Uh, I'm going to put balm on your soul. Uh, it's going to be better if you let me in. And, 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 and I'll dine with you. We'll, we'll have a meal together. And, 
You see, this is what the Lord wants to do in our lives. What will happen if we let Christ into our hearts when we're lukewarm? Again, is he just going to uh, keep keep on uh, with 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 the uh, uh, with the paddle, you know, and, and take it to our backside? Well, no, at that point, uh, Spurgeon said this. He says, I warrant you, if we sup with him, we shall no longer be lukewarm. The men who live where Jesus is soon feel their hearts burning. Have you felt that fire in your own heart? Uh, Acts chapter 4 talks about when uh, the rulers, the elders, and the scribes, uh, they, they heard about a healing that one of the apostles had performed in the temple precincts, and, uh, and, and it was stirred up all the people. And, and so they came to inquire about this, this healing that had taken place. And Peter began to preach Christ boldly to them. And of course, all the people were hearing it as well. Uh, and, and he said, you know, in Acts 4.12, there's no other name given among men under heaven by which you can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And that was boldness. And he, and he prayed that, and he, and he preached that, and then listen to what um, the, the scribes and the, the rulers said to each other. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they marveled, because they were uneducated. And it says, they realized that they had been with Jesus. Right? That, that, that's the, that was the key to the fire in them. Because they, they had supped with Jesus. They had dined with him. Yes, literally, but after he was raised, it was like you and me have to do. So do we want revival in our lives? Do we want revival in our church? In, in, do we want to see revival in this community? Well, it starts... If anyone, here's my voice, and yeah, the, the, old, the old song is it only takes a spark. One person asking Jesus to come in. I want what you, you have offered, what you're offering here, Lord. I don't want to be lukewarm anymore. I want to meet with you. I want to be with you. And, uh, and so revival will, will happen when we open our hearts to Christ. Yes, when we repent, but we must also open our hearts to Christ anew. And it'll, revival will happen when men and women, young and old, have been with Jesus. And the church will be revived only as each one of us personally gets right with the Lord and gets tight with the Lord. If you want something to stick with you today, you need to get right and tight with Jesus. Okay? Uh, that, that, those two things will carry us a long way. Uh, Christ knocks at the door, and He's speaking to each one of us individually. And He comes in where He is welcomed, where He is wanted. Uh, he gives an invitation, but you must respond. He says, uh, uh, you know, I would like to come in. Your response is to say, come in, Lord. Come right on in. And let's sit down. And let's talk. Well, may the Lord be welcome in this church. May the Lord be welcome in your life and in your heart. And, and, and all we have to do, again, to be revived is to repent and to receive Him anew by faith. Turn from sin. Open up to Him. And when He rebukes you, don't run from Him. Run to Him. Run into His arms. Because when you do that, all the, any of the harshness of discipline, and discipline is not pleasant for the moment. Hebrews says that. But all of that will be 
over when you're when you're with him. Uh, and he loves you and, and, and he wants you to respond. So go to him and say, Lord, I do love you. I'm sorry for for allowing my love for you to grow cold or lukewarm. Renew my passion and love for you. Uh, talk with him. And then he goes on in verse 21. I don't have time to get into this, but, you know, the result, uh, the, the ultimate result is to him who overcomes, I will grant to him to be uh, to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So think about that. If you let Christ in to sit with you and dine with you here on earth, you will sit with him one day on his throne. The very worst church of all the seven churches, uh, those people, if they heeded Christ's words, are, are reigning with Christ even now. And so will you and I be if we heed these words. Let us pray.